Welcome to Paranormal Underground Radio. Join us each week as we delve into some of life's most complex questions. It's time to explore the unexplained with your hosts, Karen Frazier and Rick Hale. It is Thursday night, and if you can hear our voices, you're exactly where you need to be. She is Karen Frazier. I am Rick Kale. This is Paranormal Underground Radio at HazyRadio.com. Welcome. Karen, how are you feeling this week? Um, you know, I feel pretty good, but I have a stupid cough still. But, you yeah. know, it's whatever. whatever's going around, all I can say is, folks, don't get it, because it's nasty. No, it really is. And, like, with me, I working with kids and the kids and all that on my you know my real job i bring stuff home all the time i don't get sick myself but jamie and theo will get really sick and they'll be sick for a couple of weeks since yeah uh, i've oh. sorry i've had this for over a month yeah yeah she i remember jamie had that once before too she had where she had a a really bad cough for a while and a really bad sore throat so i think it's just the weather um yeah it's the weather and you know it's school year and if you have kids schools are a petri dish i i tell people that you know i have never been sicker than the year i did my student teaching oh my god i was so sick that year i i you know would get up and drag myself into the classroom anyway because you do what you have to do to you know get through school but oh that was a germ factory is a third grade classroom i was in in washington and seriously like i went in you know the first day of my student teaching all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and it's just all enthusiastic and i think that was the last healthy day i had that entire course (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know it's like with with the kids that i work with they're mostly 12 13 14 years old but they're so low functioning that they you know they have you know the cognitive abilities of say a three or four year old so they don't really quite get don't cough in somebody's face yeah, oh, I know. And plus, you know, if you go out in public anywhere, you know, and I've always been kind of um, <clears throat> a little bit of a germaphobe. I hate to say it. It was probably that student teaching that did it to me because mm-hmm. I never was until then. So, like, even, like, if I go um, to the grocery store or something, I, like, right. have wipes for the handles of the shopping carts and stuff. Sure. Because <laughs> people cough on their hands and then they grab those handles and, ugh. No, I know, I know. Hey, you know, before we go any further, I think that we should preview our guest tonight. Um, yeah. Join, yeah, joining us, and actually he is now... We're going to be talking a little Inception. Yeah, we're going to be talking some lucid dreaming, and uh, we're going to be talking it, who is now officially, with the guy who is officially a frequent flyer at Paranormal Underground, Bill Murphy and his wife, Anita Murphy. We're going to be talking about... Um, taking charge of your dreams so this is definitely a departure from what we normally talk about here on paranormal underground that's right and we're actually talking about taking charge of like the dreams you have at night not like your dream to become you know a movie star or something i suppose that you can take charge of those dreams as well but that's not what we're talking about here unless it's while you're asleep no, no, we're not talking about selling your soul to be in the next Hollywood film. We're talking about <laughs> you know fighting those ogres and uh, uh, flying around in spaceships and t- taking control of that kind of thing. Well, at least that's what my dr- dreams are, anyways, because I'm just a gigantic you know comic book nerd. nerd so. I was going to say, so if 
if you could make any so okay so say you were really good at lucid dreaming okay. what would you what would be the first thing that you would make yourself dream about do you really want to go there Karen who is sex with whom I'm a dude um, I know <laughs> okay after you took care of all the sex dreams then you know the first non-sex dream that you would like to have what what, what would you like to lucid dream about I would like I'm I'm a science fiction guy. I would love to be like the captain of a starship or something. I think that'd be great. Mm-hmm. Hey, Cheryl. Yes, hello. So, same question for you. What would you uh, What would you want to lose the dream about if you could control it? Oh my gosh, that would be. I mean, honestly, I like I would like to dream um, about flying because I have this these weird flying dreams, and they're like it's totally awesome. So I probably want to. are so cool. Yeah, I probably want to fly yeah. around everywhere and like check out, you know, remote locations and all, all kind of kinds of cool stuff. I would want to dream about people that I love that I miss. Oh. Aww. And like, my yeah. gosh, I feel so selfish now. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to dream about flying. Like starship or something. <laughs> no, I mean that. <laughs> But, but that's relationships are so important to me. Yeah. Aww. And and that's so I would want to see my dog Peanut, for instance. I yeah. like to dream about Peanut, and I'd like to see my grandmother, and you know that type mm-hmm. of thing. I think that those are the. If I could control my dreams, I would do that all the time. And the other thing I dream about would be um, dream about who I am when I'm not here, when I'm not alive, when I'm in Ooh. spirit. I would want to dream about that because cool. it's so amazing to me. That right. is very cool. So, yeah, I know. Now I sound all deep and, and like do. kind of flaky and stuff. <laughs> no, not flaky, just very deep. And I, I don't know, I think you just made Cheryl and I feel like a couple of jerks. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Should I have gone Karen, first? Karen goes outside the outside of the box. We're just like very like yeah. one-dimensional yeah, right no. now. <laughs> I just think I just think about the world differently than other people a lot of the time. Yeah. You know. You wouldn't want to be in my head. Oh, look, Elaine says mine was sappy. So you guys wouldn't need to feel you don't need to feel bad because I am a sap. So <laughs> it was still sweet. Yeah. It was oh. still sweet. Especially hey, my um, grandmother. I'd really like to see my grandmother again. I would yeah. like to see I've I've actually have communicated with my grandmother a little bit through Nancy, so mm-hmm. I'm happy about that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, sorry, didn't mean to, you know, I just thought that was an interesting question. If you could, what would you do? And I know, I know you're a dude and the number one answer. I mean, I get that. If I asked Jim, his would be like that that he passed his yoga classes and could blow himself or something. I don't know, you know? (laughs) Um, No, no, I've never thought about that personally, but. No, now that I have. It. It's actually a Saturday Night Live skit. Have you never seen that one with um, uh, Will Ferrell where he's been taking yoga classes for years and he's sitting there in the middle of yoga class and you see him with his head in his pants and he's like, wow, 30 years of yoga classes and I can finally do it. Oh I know. I, I've never seen that one, actually. Oh, hilarious. So, you know, I got a little bit of uh, UFO news, which is uh, kind of interesting. What? Um Yeah. A couple of days ago, apparently, there was a sighting here in Lake County, Illinois, of uh, some strange lights flying in the sky not too far from my house. Um, I didn't get a chance to see it. I was at work at the time, so, of course, I'm inside, and I don't really know what's going on until, you know, it's time to leave at 9 o'clock in the morning. Sure. 
Right. But it's just, it's very interesting because this is not the first time that there have been sightings in this area. Back in the early to mid 1990s, there was a mass sighting over uh, Lake Zurich, Illinois. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if this area is necessarily be considered a, um, a window area for it, but, uh, there, there, there is some history. Uh, back in the eighties, there was a thing called the round Lake lights, which is another town that is near me where people were seeing, you know, lights in the sky doing strange things. So it happens Mm. every once in a while around here. Are you going to become a sky watcher then? You know what? Even although, you know, ufology does interest me, it's not my, my expertise or, you know, field of, of research. You know, I know all these people have all these stories about seeing things in the sky, mm-hmm. and including friends of mine, people that I trust and have, you know, like a high, high esteem for. Um, sure. I never, nothing. I've never, ever, the, the, the thing that came closest was, you know, the night that the meteor came zipping across my front windows while I was on the phone to Jim. And I was, I kept saying, what is that? What is that? And he was like, yeah. I don't know, I'm at work. I'm talking to you on the phone. What are you talking about? It was huge. I mean, yeah. Well, and, and, and from what I understand, a lot of people do um, mistake that kind of thing for a UFO. Mm-hmm. I myself, I have had two. I'm not sure what it was. I'm not. But I saw something twice, once when I was 16 years old and another one um, back in the year 2000. I had seen mm. something that defied logic to me. Uh, whether or not it was a UFO, I don't know, or it could have just been um, a military. I, I, I just, I really don't know. I cannot explain what I saw. Interesting. And, you know, the thing is, is that I've always been a sky watcher because I love the stars and I love the constellations and I love meteors. And, you know, when the kids were little, we would lay out in the backyard on the trampoline and watch mm-hmm. meteor showers. And, and, and yet I've never seen anything. And I mean, I'm talking about even as a young child, I spent hours out in my backyard laying on a lawn chair looking up at the sky um with my dad that was just one of the things we did and not to look for ufos just to look at the stars but never never seen anything right see and you're lucky because you're out there a little bit more in the country than i am um i have a a major urban center which is you know 30 miles to the south sure yeah you have a lot of light pollution Exactly. So it's like, yeah. y- even though you still get to see the stars and all that, it's still not the same. Not s- right. It's like with my brother who lives in Arizona, Him, he, uh, he and his partner, Mike, live in Arizona. And um, if you go out on their back porch at night, oh, my God, it's like there are yeah. billions and billions of stars. Sorry to sound like you know, Carl yeah. Sagan or whatever. No, do it, in the, do it in the mountains. That's one of the <laughs> things I love about Wellington so much in the summer is the mm-hmm. sky in the mountains right. it's it's i mean you've never seen stars like these it's so incredible um and with that i hate to rush us but you know oh. we are one minute past break time and i know bill and anita are waiting and we have such a cool topic tonight with lucid dreaming so let's do this we'll go to break we'll come back and we're going to be talking some inception stuff guys so stick around it's paranormal underground radio on the hazy radio network we'll be right back Bikers' child abuse, Baca, exists with the intent to create a safer environment for abused children. We exist as a body of bikers to empower children to not feel afraid of the world in which they live. 
We stand ready to lend support to our wounded friends by involving them with an established United organization. We work in conjunction with local and state officials who are already in place to protect children. We desire to send a clear message to all involved with the abused child that this child is part of our organization and that we are prepared to lend our physical and emotional support to them by affiliation and our physical presence. We stand at the ready to shield these children from further abuse. We do not condone the use of violence or physical force in any manner. However, if circumstances arise such that we are the only obstacle preventing a child from further abuse, we stand ready to be that obstacle. If you'd like to become involved in BACA, visit our website at www.bacausa.com. Hi, this is Cheryl Knight, editor for Paranormal Underground Magazine. And I'm Chad Wilson, Paranormal Underground Magazine's publisher. Every month, Paranormal Underground Magazine explores the unexplained by examining topics that range from haunted sites to ufology to cryptozoology. We also spotlight investigators and researchers who continue to pave the way in a field that seeks to answer some of life's most complex questions. If you want to read about topics like psychic phenomena, demonology, conspiracy theories, crystals and herbology, and much, much more, visit ParanormalUnderground.net and start exploring the unexplained today. Visit us today at ParanormalUnderground.net and get a 12-month digital subscription for 15% off the cover price. Hey everyone, it's Karen Frazier. I'm here with my co-host of Paranormal Underground Radio, Rick Hale. Hi everyone. We invite you to join Paranormal Underground Radio on the Hazy Radio Network to explore the unexplained every Thursday night from 6 to 8 p.m. Pacific and other times in the flyover states. <laughs> Each week we talk with investigators in the field, researchers, authors, and experts about topics that include paranormal investigation, ufology, cryptozoology, and spirituality. So please join us each Thursday at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern for Paranormal Talk with great guests right here on HazyRadioNetwork.com. Do you want to keep up with what's going on at Paranormal Underground? Then tweet us on Twitter at ParanormalUG. Or follow us on Facebook at Paranormal Underground. Meet us on MySpace, Paranormal Underground. There's no need to be in the dark about what's going on at Paranormal Underground. Join us on your favorite social networking site today. Hi, I'm Chuck G. Come join me on my new show called In the Dark Radio. From topics such as ghosts, cryptids, UFOs, and more, this is a show you don't want to miss. So stay tuned right here on the Hazy Network from 11 p.m. to 12 a.m. Eastern, right after Paranormal Underground. And let's keep the radio rolling. Don't 
Hi, this is Hazy, and you're listening to the Hazy Radio Network. The views expressed and the opinions given by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Hazy Radio Network, its affiliates, or sponsors. All shows are independently owned and broadcast for entertainment purposes only. Hey everybody, welcome back to Paranormal Underground Radio at HazyRadio.com. We are your hosts, Karen and Rick. And tonight joining us, um, once again, is going to be Bill Murphy. Now, Bill is a frequent flyer show. He's been on, I believe this is his third time. And joining him tonight, as well as his, is his wife, uh, Anita. And we're going to be talking about lucid dreaming, as we've already, uh, as we've already said. Uh, Bill, Anita, welcome to the Underground. Hey, thanks for having us here. Of course. Yeah. So this is a really cool topic. And um, it's not one that Rick and I know a whole lot about, so we're glad to have you with us. So okay. let's let's start with the very basics, because when I think of lucid dreaming, I think of inception. So what is lucid dreaming really? Well, it's figure you saw that movie, because inception is actually based on a lot of the facts surrounding lucid dreaming. As a matter of fact, Christopher Nolan, the writer-director, and Leonardo DiCaprio are both accomplished lucid dreamers. And so they've incorporated some of the, the actual practices that lucid dreamers are uh, involved in into the storyline. I mean, they, they sort of put the Hollywood spin on it, but a lot of the stuff is directly lifted from the real science. So... When you're in a lucid dream, just to sort of very simplify it, uh, you become awake in the dream. So you're self-aware and you realize that you are dreaming and that enables a person to take control over various aspects of the dream environment. Well, I've had that happen naturally a few times. I mean, it's not something that I do a lot, but is it something that people do naturally sometimes? It's mixed. Some people are natural lucid dreamers. I mean, I always have been, hence my interest since I was about 14 or so. It, it may have happened when I was younger than that, but not that I really recall. Um, but by the time I was an early teenager, I realized that I was having dreams, and sometimes I think my eyes were even partially open, so it could have been not exactly a lucid dream state. It is a cognitive state instead. Um, but I, I soon learned to be able to take control of the dream. So although there are natural lucid, lucid dreamers, uh, there are a lot of techniques that people can use to learn the technique of lucid dreaming. So anybody can become lucid. Is it different than something like self-hypnosis or astral travel? Well, astral travel and astral projection, those are terms that are applied to the sensations that a person has. Now, as in many aspects of the paranormal that you guys cover and that, that I investigate as well, when you don't really have, really have tangible evidence of it, then it becomes phenomenology instead. It's the human experience. So, past sure. projection, when you feel like you're leaving your body, uh, that can sort of be a sensation associated with a lucid dream, although for the most part, when a person is lucid, they're still experiencing their body. They, they see their body. They take control of it. They can alter it. So it's, it's not like an out-of-body experience, but the, the sensation can be compared. 
now, Bill, you talk about um, the uh, the things that you can do uh, to help you lucid dream. What are what, what are some of these methods? Well, one of them, and, and I really like the acronym. Um, one of them is called Wild, and I just like it because who doesn't want to go wild? But it's it stands for Wake Induced Lucid Dream, and this is how most people discover that they can become lucid. When you wake up in the morning and you go, oh my gosh, I'm just, I'm just not ready to get up just yet. Where's the snooze button? I'm going back to sleep. And you go back to sleep and you, you are still partially conscious, but you're unconscious. So paralysis, paralysis does take effect and you are sleeping, but you, you become lucid in that short period of time. It's usually at the end of a sleep stage, and roughly most people have about four sleep stages uh, throughout the night, and they get progressively longer with the dream environment. And at the end, if, if you wake up and then go back to sleep and then wake up again during the dream, that's when you can recall it. And so dream recall is the key to being able to enjoy and experience a lucid dream. So when you mentioned wake-induced lucid dreaming, um, so that's, I think, how I figured out I was able to do it. But my question is, what about things like um, old hag syndrome? Because you were mentioning when you dream, you're paralyzed because if you act out your dreams, you you know, you're not going to get a real good night's sleep. So um, what about things like old hag syndrome? Are those like a subset of lucid dreaming or is that something different? Well, I, I think it can kind of become, some of it can slip into lore, you know, like folklore. Um, it's, I, can only, I can only address with what's being proven and right. what can be sure. measured. And I don't discount, however, the human experience at all. It's not like I, sure. it's not like I have to be completely open to that. Um, let's just say if everybody is, is in a court of law, testimony it's supposed to have equal weight to tangible evidence, but in modern society, juries don't lean that way anymore. They don't apply a 50% weight of testimony and 50% on the collective right. evidence. They, they weigh more on forensics nowadays. We're just a science-based society. So if I want to just spin out a little bit in the direction of lucid dreaming, what, what, what we base our research on is the, the brainwave frequencies that are generated uh, when you have um, various mental functions, when you're fully engaged in a conversation such as we are now versus when you're becoming meditative, when you become asleep, and then finally when you become lucid, which is a hybrid state. It exhibits states of both being conscious and unconscious simultaneously. Hmm. Okay. So when I meditate, so, okay. So I know that all of these different states of consciousness, so lucid dreaming is a state of consciousness, correct? It's now being identified as a unique state of consciousness, yes. Okay, so I know that there are different types of brain waves associated with different states of consciousness, like, you know, theta waves with, I think, is uh, meditation and beta waves with sleep or things like that. So what types of brain waves are associated with lucid dreaming and how do those different, how are those differentiated between just normal non-lucid dreaming? Well, let me, let me address one part of what you just said. Um, beta is actually when you're, when you're awake. So Okay, uh, sorry. Yeah, I knew I was just talking about 
my butt there, but I was, you know. <laughs> no, 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 it's kind of right because, you know, you would tend to think of, like, somebody that's uh, an alpha team member would be the one that's really fully engaged. But when it comes to identifying brainwave frequencies, beta is when you really are awake. But, right. but it, it, it's a fast frequency, and so they, they tend to get slower um, the more relaxed you get. Now, the, the unique thing about lucid dreaming in particular is that it's an extremely fast, low amplitude frequency. So, I mean, if you're going to chart it, it's going to be a really busy chart. It's not going to be jumping up and down across the top and the bottom of the screen. It's going to be kind of condensed, and it's going to be very rapid. And you don't really have those gamma waves uh, when you are fully conscious. So that's why... It's considered to be now a unique form of consciousness, and and the reason why it is such a, a hyper state of awareness is because you're you're not being flooded with the normal distractions that you would like. For example, we're having this conversation. I'm glancing at the chat room and I'm looking out at Sunset Boulevard all at the same time. So I'm splitting my awareness, and the average person can usually split what they're focused on in about seven different areas. Once you start going past seven, you're really unable to juggle that and multitask effectively. But when you're lucid dreaming, you're cut off from the world that's flooding in through your eyes. You can still hear, but not so much so. Physical sensations are inhibited. And so you become super aware of yourself. And that's what enables lucidity. Okay, um, we we have a question from Chad. It's from Elaine. Um, she asks, "Do you know if it is true that many have lucid dreams more often when they are ill?" Um, you know, that's a really good question, Elaine. That's in the chat room. Elaine asked that question. Yes, um, that, that that's an interesting question. Um, I, I'll have to answer this based on the research that I've that I've read so far, as opposed to personal experience that I can relate to, but. Dreams are affected, and lucid dreams are affected um, when a person is being treated with, if they have an illness and they're under certain medications that have psychotropic effects. So oh. it can lucidity, but I, I'm not aware. It doesn't mean that that's not taking place, but I've not I've not run across the documentation that correlates a person that's ill or being treated for an illness with lucidity? That, that's a great question, and that's one of the reasons why we launched DreamNet. There's enough people doing research that I'm not really here to duplicate the researchers' efforts. I'm here to provide a way to, to facilitate Dreamly Call to collect the data, and then that's going to be forwarded to the researchers around the world. So, um, I, I, Elaine's question what it makes me think of, and I, I, I can't speak for Elaine, but the reason that it's interesting to me is because fever dreams. So, mm -hmm. you know those fever dreams? Do you know what I mean by fever dreams? You get just those really weird dreams, but they're but you almost have like some control in them. And so, that's I, I that's what that made me think of is fever dreaming. Yeah, anyway. fever dreaming, or uh, even. Um, a mild injury. I mean, that's the Wizard of Oz. The fantastic movies was based all around that. And, you know, Dorothy uh, was not unconscious. And then so the characters that she was interacting with in Kansas were incorporated into her dreamscape. Uh, and she did all the things that you do when you're dreaming. And it seems like that movie was about lucid dreaming when you really 
look at it because she was able to take control of certain aspects of it. And that's one of the things about lucidity. It can be partial or it can be full. Once you attain full lucidity, and, and this was covered well in the movie Inception, the dream environment begins to collapse because you become closer and closer to becoming fully conscious. So it's hard to sustain that lucid state. Now, if you're if you're feverish, if you're not being conscious, if you're Medicaid, all those things do affect the dream environment, as does diet, as does exposure to sunlight, all the environmental factors. Uh, some of the some of the data that's being requested, uh, they come from all the disciplines of science. I mean, I've been like, I've been sort of wowed by what kind of data people are asking me to provide, and it goes almost beyond the scope of what I was originally trying to do. I was just trying to enable um, a, a way for a dream recall to be a little more reliable, and it, it, the science community be kind of pounced on it. They go, please, we, we're looking for this data, and booking time in sleep labs is not only inefficient financially, but people aren't comfortable in sleep labs, and you only have them for limited times. So right. all those are good questions that you, the, the listeners are asking right now. Well, okay. Chad wants Chad wants to know um, if somebody was some kind of he mentioned sleep apnea, but there are other things, other conditions that interrupt sleep too. With sleep disorders, would they have more difficulty lucid dreaming? Well, you kind of have me on a uh, on a teetering and answering two different ways here because I don't want to be an advocate for sleep apnea because clearly people need a restful night's sleep. By the same token, it is, it's exactly those, if you actually happen to the point where it interrupts your sleep and you wake up, then you're more likely to call the dream in the first place. Um, but sleep apnea is not a condition that I, I would recommend that somebody say, oh, great, um, I can use this to my advantage. No, it, it's, best, it's, best to, it's best to use a couple of the other techniques that, or um, also health conscious, either using wild, which are already identified, or using dream-induced lucid dreams. It's D-I-L-D. It's not an acronym. And th- those techniques are the most sound. There are substances that people can ingest that are like stimulants. I would certainly have a hard time with that if I take a stimulant and then try to go to sleep. That sounds like opposing forces to me. And I also don't want to be an advocate for that route, although it's very common around the world to take certain herbs and substances that they, that can lead to lucidity to some people. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, sort of uh, sh- uh, shamanic in nature, correct? Yes. I see that white water put that on there. Uh, not white water. That, yes. It, uh, the shamanic journey um, is, it is associated with lucidity and there's really good reasons why uh, therapists and when you think of a shaman people go to them for help of some sort and the Western equivalent is, is the therapist, the psychotherapist and they do use lucid dreaming techniques, they teach their patients how to lucid dream, they walk them through the process which way is going to be most effective for them. So there's some trial and error, but for somebody that's suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder, lucid dreaming can be very beneficial because what accompanies post-traumatic disorder is reoccurring nightmares. 
if you take control of the, of the dream environment and you confront your nightmare, you can usually defeat whatever it is that you're fearful of and you're reliving, and then you come to the realization that the past can no longer harm you. So, so it, it has, is an, so it has therapeutic term. has therapeutic uses then. Uh, therapeutic uses and other uses, which I'll I'll just I'll ease out all these things as the questions come because there's many more aspects to it. Of course. Um, I, uh, another question from uh, Whitewater Chat, um, Nancy. Nancy is actually a personal friend of mine. She's a medium that I work with uh, quite regularly. Um, her question is, they're going to be very psychic in nature. Um, her question is, how different is lucid dreaming from remote viewing when you use the ability, <clears throat> excuse me, when you use the ability to project yourself in other locations? Well, that's, that's a very common thing to do when, when you become lucid. And sometimes that environment will immediately shift and change at will. And so the question is, could you repeat the question so I fully understand it? Oh, sure. Uh, the question is, how, excuse me, how different is lucid dreaming from remote viewing when you oh, use okay. the ability to project yourself in other locations? Okay. Um, it, it is different, but some of the results can be the same. Remote viewing does not involve sleeping at all. Uh, you, you are fully engaged, but with remote viewing, and uh, Anita and I, my wife Anita and I, we actually enrolled in a remote viewing class where the the classic method used by the military uh, and also the methods used in the civilian RV research field, uh, both techniques were taught. Uh, none of them involve sleeping, but they all involve a code that represents something unknown. And, and I'll just give you the quick example of how it's used and how remote viewing has, unfortunately, like everything in the United States, had to, had to become a how it became militarized. When you look at a set of numbers that could be randomly generated by a computer, by the way, they don't have to come from another person, but any sort of random set of characters that can be a combination of an American, uh, what it represents um, really has no correlation to the target, but it still gives the RVer something to sort of grasp onto. The first thing they do, the first thing that comes to mind you sketch it out. It's almost like they, they teach you this sort of shorthand technique. The first one that comes to mind, they discard because they, that's through trial and error that determine that, that that first impression is actually something that's already lingering in your psyche and there's a certain expectation you have and you're going to incorporate that into the remote viewing session. So throw away the first one. Now, now it's almost like uh, you cleanse the palate and then, then you start commencing with the shorthand drawings again. And normally what it is that they're looking for is a description of a location, even a rendering of a building. Uh, I was shocked, um, as was about 30 of the people, when we first started taking this course, they threw a number generated by the computer on a projector on the screen. We went through the process I just, just described, and Anita drew what looked like almost like a rib cage, but it was circular. And it was mm -hmm. like, wow, what, what could that be? That's like, what, the AT&T symbol or something? I, I didn't get it. I didn't understand what it was. I had something completely different than she did. Everybody had something different. But when they showed the photograph of what it was that we would try to obtain information of, it's a restaurant in a mall in New York City that's built of wood 
shaped like a, a globe. It's made uh, out of these ripped pieces. It's like ripped wood in a globe pattern, and it's got a stairway you go in there. So Anita drew a, a really direct representation of the target. So we realized that remote viewing, uh, it works. Now, here's the statistics behind remote viewing. The results obtained are roughly the same as using either traditional espionage or using bribes to obtain military intelligence. So it's about 30% success rate. So although the, the United States has taken the public position that the Stargate project, the one that was funded, uh, has been disbanded, many people doubt that it ever was disbanded. In fact, remote viewers are still used in the military. Yeah, I can definitely um, see that. I, I've I've dealt with um, remote viewers. Uh, uh, Nancy, in fact, is one of them, and uh, I um, I've never been more impressed with going on an investigation. It's like this is exactly what you spoke of. Um, I used to have a problem with remote viewing at one time, but not so much anymore. I you know I don't know if my success was was really anything noteworthy. Uh, Anita's was consistent. So I think some people are naturally gifted in some areas and others aren't. Uh, she was a stand in the class from the beginning. We attended a whole series of them. And actually, we ended up hosting an event in Hollywood. Um, what do we call that event, Anita, the one that we did? That was uh, up, um, from Speechless. Oh, we don't, we're drawing a blank. <laughs> we, we, <laughs> yeah, at the Hollywood Heritage Museum, we, we hosted an event and we brought in that same, oh, oh parapsychology in Hollywood, that's what it was called. We, oh. we brought in the remote before and we exposed everybody to the process and we had some really successful hits. Um, you know, th things that are in sealed boxes with keys that are separate and they, it, they're hidden in, in larger cases. And again, again, using that same process, and some people really got it. Anita was getting hits on these objects locked in boxes, and the, the instructor at this point wasn't surprised anymore. He said, there's, there's always going to be a star pupil uh, that he finds in every group, and it, it happened to be Anita for this one. So I, I like remote viewing, but it, it is different from lucid treatment. Okay. So I have a question, another question from Elaine in chat. She says, I have dreams yeah. where I go places I've never been. I remember very odd things about the locations I, that, that I go that turn out to be true. What's the difference between, well, and she, and between ethereal travel and lucid dreams? I, and, and I'm and assuming I, that's, that's different than astral travel ahead. one. Oh, I just was assuming that, is, or is, is that the same as the astral travel question we asked earlier? Uh, no, it, it, it's a bit different. And then, you know, I, I don't mean to to always focus on the semantics that, you know, of the questions and the verbiage people are using. But what she's speaking about, and this is, uh, is this Whoopi Ed? That's who wrote that question? Whoopi Ed? I have uh, yeah, Elaine. Her yeah, her name's Elaine. Oh, Elaine. Oh, okay. Um, okay. I, I, I would probably use another term myself. Uh, so forgive me for for nitpicking like this, but I, I would put it in the category of precognitive dreams, which is very well documented. It goes outside of the boundaries of mainstream science, but then again, so does everything we do in the paranormal go, go outside of the boundaries because it's not easily repeatable. Um, so 
if, if she ends up, uh, she has, she has odd dreams, but places she's never been to. This turns out to be true. So that means she has seen this in the mind's eye, to, to use a phrase, before she physically has gone there. And so that's precognition. That's, and that's really good. And that's, that's throughout history that has been documented. I did a whole conference uh, presentation about just that subject. And once I started researching it, I was shocked. I was like, wow, there's so much out there about people having dreams about things that haven't happened mm. yet. And I, I, have to, I have to know my audience. Like, I can talk about this on this show. You guys are open-minded. You listen to me. But when I bring up these subjects in the mainstream science community, uh, they, they can get kind of glazed over. It's like, um, Bill, you can't repeat that under similar circumstances, and so why are you bringing that up? And so I, to avoid from being shunned by some of the people that I, I rely on for data, um, I speak about some things to, to this group that we're with now, and I speak about other things to the other group, the mainstreamers. Well, we're pretty easy going, so you know we like paranormal explanations just as much as we like we like scientific ones. We're we're happy either way. We like spiritual explanations too, so it's all good. So, um, I'm not sure quite how to formulate this question, but as we've been talking, um, so how factual are lucid dreams. Dreams tend to be like my son was just telling me um, about a dream he had just before I came on the radio show um, and not in, in relation to anything on the show, but just he was telling me about a dream. And I was explaining to him that, you know, he's really stressed. He's a senior in high school. He's applying for colleges. And so these are probably, you know, the the dream is showing him symbols of, of basically his stressed outness. So, you know, dreams are such a weird combination of like symbolism and actual things and, and so in lucid dreaming, how does that all play? Well one area that I interpretation uh, for kind of the reasons that you just outlined for us, it's it's very subjective. So I would I would be imposing my own interpretation on somebody else's descriptions if I tried to do so. So it's really up to the dreamer to kind of understand what it is that they visualized and heard. But the thing with a with a, a normal dream, a non lucid dream, you are you're taking what's in your short, short-term memory and sometimes in your long-term memory, and you are organizing that information where it is being committed to long-term memory, and what you're witnessing is memory formation, which is why you can't really easily remember the dream itself. The dream experience is inhibited because you're forming memories, other memories, and it, it's not possible to do both unless you can be awoken during the dream. And then you have to journal it and talk about it quickly. And even if you, even if you start journaling it and talk about it, uh, I think most people have done this, where you have a dream that is fantastic in one way or another, and if you have, like, well, okay, Anita's always right there next to me. I, I wake up. She can tell when I go lucid. And she says, what were you dreaming about? Because you were reaching your arms out, and I could tell you you were very active. It's either vivid or it's lucid. And as I'm even telling her the dream, it begins to evaporate. So you don't have much time to actually document it. So, if, you know, to answer the questions that your son is having, 
he's just organizing his memories and, and he's sure. coming to uh, terms with maybe some fears and reality that he may have as well. Sure. Well, I yeah, tend to recognize when I wake up, I very seldom, I wake up a lot during the night. Um, I have back problems and so I never sleep very well, never been a great sleeper. So I wake up a lot and so I resultantly, I think I dream a lot, which really I dream just as much as anybody else. I just wake up more during it. But what I find is that well, I can't always remember the what the dream was specifically. I can always get the essence of that dream. I the feeling that the dream invoked, that type of thing. Is that uh, is that a fairly common thing that people maybe if you can't remember the specific dream, but you can still kind of recognize what the dream was telling you or the feeling? Oh yeah, yeah. I I think if you if you pulled you know the general public, most people. Can remember the broad strokes of the dream, and sometimes by surprise, even much later on, a dream that you had even years ago will suddenly come to the forefront, and you can kind of remember yeah. old dreams. And, mm. uh, it'll be triggered by something that you experienced, like even like like Elaine was saying. Uh, I think that was Elaine that was saying that um, she loved dream about something, and then it comes true. There could be even little bits of maybe some precognition that's creeping into some dreams, and then when you go to a location that you've never been to before, and it's like a deja vu, you go, wow, it's like I've been here, and you're like, oh, wait, I dreamed about this. And so dreams are, um, you know, they're fleeting. They they come and they go, and that's why I I really thought long and hard, how can how can I best remain relevant in this dream research community, and I realized it's really through Dream Recall. I don't mean to sound like a broken record keep saying that, but Dream Recall is a challenge before all of us. Yeah, and sure. you have a really neat project that you're working on that we're, um, when we go to our break here in about, about five minutes, when we come back, I want to talk about the project that you're working on with the Dream Recall, but we do still have, have a few more questions in chat. Um, yeah. And yeah, so uh, Nancy wants, oh, go ahead, Rick. No, you, no go right ahead. Nancy wants to know, what is the purpose of lucid dreaming? Well, we, we already mentioned the, the therapeutic benefits for people that are having post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, and something that some of us are tuning into right now and others may not, depending on uh, if, you, if you really enjoy winter sports or not. But, you know, we're in the 22nd uh, Winter Olympics in Sochi right now. And... There's, and this is something I, I, I didn't know. Somebody sent me the documents, uh, about this already. Germany and Switzerland have been training their Olympic athletes to lucid dream because it was discovered that motor skills practiced in the lucid environment directly translate to better performance in the waking world. So, like visualization. Easy- ah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking. Wow. Yeah, that's what separates the gold from the silver. It's all about what's happening with mental preparedness, and they're mentally preparing themselves with lucid dreaming. That is so cool. So hmm. that would have practical Sorry. applications in other things. I mean, like musicians and, um, you know, actors and actresses and like that. Anything that you can rehearse in your mind, then you could rehearse in your dreams. And you're saving time. Yeah, and they can create, yeah, you, you, musicians or you know, we spoke already about 
some of the movies that were inspired by real lucid dreamers. So the creative aspect is probably the most common, but the, the therapeutic and the physical aspects are, are other ones that are just as important as creativity. Okay. Um, a question from Cheryl. Um, she asks, do repetitive dreams over time have anything to do with lucid dreaming? Um, What's your question again? She's oh, asking uh, about recurrent dreams and if what, how recurrent dreams relate to lucid dreaming. Oh, well, I mean, if it's a reoccurring dream and it's something that she's pondering over and over, there's no real harm to it unless it's nightmarish. Uh, and so there's no reason to be treating it. Uh, it, could be, it could be something that kind of circles back to what we talked about before. She may be obtaining information through unconventional means, uh, and maybe she should take action on some of these things. Uh, the, the example that I gave at that conference that I mentioned earlier was about the, the sinking of the Titanic. The, a number of people that had very vivid dreams that the unsinkable ship would in fact ship, would in fact sink, uh, was astronomical. In fact, over 900 people who bought tickets never did board the Titanic, and they traded their tickets off, they sold them, they refused to get on the ship because to them, they were saying this is somehow cursed, even though it appeared to be a state-of-the-art ship. I mean, ocean liners weren't new, but, but people got this really bad feeling, most of them through dreams, that this ship would sink, and it was written about, and even given names uh, that were very similar to Titanic. Ten years before the Titanic was even built, Books were written about a ship. What was it called? The Titanium, I believe it was. The Titan. It was the, the Titan. 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 Yeah, yeah, the Titan. The Titan. So, so that's um, people were having this over and over and over, and finally they took action and didn't board the ship. So if you're having a reoccurring dream, I would certainly journal that and pay attention to it. And what I would really recommend is to get some sort of tangible information, which is very difficult to do in a dream. When I say tangible, Numbers, dates, names, words, get that somehow and try to confront a dream character. I find when, when I try to do this, most of them are like avatars, kind of zombie-ish, like just wavering back and forth, unable to make eye contact. Uh, other ones will make eye contact and give you information. And I've been trying to really get in, info from those dream characters to see if I can correlate it to the waking world. That's pretty cool. Very. It'd be cooler if most of them weren't zombie-like, though. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's one of the dreams my son was telling me about. He says, I have a recurrent zombie apocalypse dream. I said, dude, that's just too many video games. (laughs) That's all that is. And The Walking Dead. I don't know if it's um, because of the current spat of zombie shows and movies, uh, I've noticed this for a long time when I try to focus on the characters. I mean, they kind of shift from side to side and their arms are hanging limp and I'm look, looking at them and trying to talk and they, I can't even see their eyes. I think they become blurry when I look at them. Um, I, I, I don't know. They're just not really there where they're... I don't know what the explanation and I'd be venturing way out on a limb to speculate what these are, but they're 
there is worldwide research right now of dream vendor dreamer communication, and it's, it, it's the experiment's constructed really well. It's a blind experiment. Anybody can participate in it, and we'll talk about that um, as we progress through tonight's show. Cool. So we have so, um, we have we have one more question, and then we're going to go to break. Rick, okay. do you have the question up? Oh yeah, it's uh, Chad's. I, I'm sorry, I thought we were going to go to break and then come back uh, with Chad's question. Um, Chad's question is: If life is only an illusion, then are we not a, a lucid dream even when awake? It's um, the call was kind of breaking up, so I'm trying to find this question in writing. He actually, you, he actually asked Cheryl. Rick, just go ahead. Yeah, and read it. So, so, sorry about that. Um, his question again is: If life is only an illusion, then are we not a lucid dream even when awake? I like that. Um, that actually, it goes, uh, it, it's, that very notion was greatly expanded upon uh, by the Matrix trilogy, that yeah. what we're experiencing yeah. is, is an illusion. Um, you know, it depends on who you ask, because there are illusionary aspects of the physical world. You know, as it's, as most people realize, no two objects really touch each other. You know, I'm not really sitting on this chair. I'm not, my feet aren't on this floor. When, I, when I'm knocking on this window right here, I'm not really contacting the window because there's, there's, it's repelled electromagnetically on a subatomic level. So everything is separated and everything is in rotation. And so if there's more empty space, then there is space filled with, with matter, but that's not how we experience it. We see a tree as being solid, and you can't pass through it. But you should, when it comes down to it, you should be able to pass through it had it, were it not be repelling your, your own particles. So, yeah, there's an illusionary aspect to what we're in. Yeah, okay. totally. So um, let's do this. We're going to go to break. When we come back, I definitely want to talk about your lucid dreaming headband and um, app because it looks really cool. So, guys, stick around. We're talking to Bill Murphy. This is uh, Paranormal Underground Radio on the Hazy Radio Network. We'll be right back. Bikers Against Child Abuse, BACA, exists with the intent to create... Okay, we're clear for break. Okay, sorry. ...body of bikers to empower children to not feel afraid of the world in which they live. We stand ready to lend support to our wounded friends by involving them with an established United Organization. We work in conjunction with local and state officials who are already in place to protect children. We desire to send a clear message to all involved with the abused child that this child is part of our organization and that we are prepared to lend our physical and emotional support to them by affiliation and our physical presence. We stand at the ready to shield these children from further abuse. We do not condone the use of violence or physical force in any manner. However, if circumstances arise such that we are the only obstacle preventing a child from further abuse, we stand ready to be that obstacle. If you'd like to become involved in BACA, visit our website at www.bacausa.com. Hi, I'm Chuck G. Come join me on my new show called In the Dark Radio. From topics such as ghosts, cryptids, UFOs, and more, this is a show you don't want to miss. So stay tuned right here on the Hazy Network from 11 p.m. to 12 a.m. Eastern, right after Paranormal Underground. And let's keep the radio rolling.
Hey, this is Karen Frazier, writer and radio host with Paranormal Underground. Since I wrote my book, Avalanche of Spirits, The Ghosts of Wellington in 2010, people have asked me what happened next. In my new book, Dancing with the Afterlife, a paranormal memoir, my Wellington story continues. Dancing with the Afterlife is more than the continuation of the Wellington story, however. It's also the story of a lifetime of afterlife research and paranormal encounters. What I've learned has changed my life, and it might change yours as well. To learn more about Dancing with the Afterlife or to read an excerpt from the book, visit dancingwiththeafterlife.com. Thank you. This is Hazy, and you're listening to the Hazy Radio Network. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Paranormal Underground Radio at hazyradio.com. We are your hosts, Karen and Rick. For the last 45 minutes, we have been talking with Bill Murphy, and we have been talking about lucid dreaming and uh, dreaming experiences. So, uh, Bill, thank you so much for sticking around for another segment. Uh, You know... What is it? It's my pleasure. I'm enjoying this show a lot, so thanks for having me. 
Oh, sure, of course. Now, um, uh, we were talking a little bit about experience, and uh, can you fill in our uh, listeners in on that? Can, um, and I'm so sorry. It, 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 it sort of echoed again. Could you repeat that? You, you had a personal experience, correct, that you wanted to talk sort of, about? Yeah, I, yeah, and I'll keep it brief. Um, and you, know, you guys know me from, from before, from years ago, and sure. I, I, never, I never really talk about my personal experiences ever uh, in the paranormal community. Um, I usually, you know, I started off by documenting the work of others, and I was taping everything and, and producing these, these DVDs, and then I ended up on Discovery and Sci-Fi where I kind of did the same thing. I would, I would chime in on other people's evidence and analyze it. And so I've kind of kept my experiences to myself, but I think there's one very relevant to tonight's show I'd like to share with you guys and with your, your audience here. Um, and this is about thought transference and whether you want to call it extrasensory perception or however you, you want to determine it. It's something that I always have to be very careful with the subject. Um, especially if it's one if I'm going to relate to personally, because it's like, hey, you know, how can you validate something like thought transference? So here's what happened. Uh, once I began to really practice lucid dreaming techniques, it's like the more often you do it, it becomes easier, just like, like anything you practice over and over. And I mentioned before the break that uh, Anita will sometimes, my wife Anita will wake me up if she sees me doing like a physical action, because that means I'm, I'm in this hybrid state. I'm not completely paralyzed like I would be if I'm just in a deep, normal sleep and even dreaming. I'm starting to have that, that, that uh, some consciousness is, is slipping in. So she saw me like uh, almost like swinging a bat, and so she woke me up. She goes, you're having a dream, and, and you were thrashing about. And I sat up. I sat up in the bed, and I was like, wow, this is Anita. I said, you were you were in this dream. I said, we were in this, like, desert landscape. I didn't recognize anything. And behind us was this building that looked like it had been abandoned for, like, 50 years. It looked like an old fireworks stand, only way of describing it. Like, there was no screen. It was like the whole front was folded down, a whole area, but the wood was decayed. And I, I'm looking at Anita, looking at this building, trying to figure out where we are. And from behind this building, some stranger who I did not know came running at Anita with a shovel to attack her with a shovel. He leaned back and swung it at her, and I put my arms up to block him, and somehow from my my palms and my hands, I, I emitted some sort of pulse, and it struck the person. I didn't physically touch him, but it, like these waves came out, hit him, and he flew back about 40 feet, I think I may have killed him, whatever. Because he went way up and way down, hit the ground, didn't move. And I woke up and I, I described this whole thing to her. And she's like, anything else? I said, no, then that's when you woke me up right after I did that. And so she was kind of giggling and she shows me her tablet that she was actually reading while I was sleeping. She was reading a story in Huffington Post about a woman in California that was attacked by a man with a shovel and this stranger saw it and intervened and saved the woman. So while she was reading this, it, it somehow oh got goodness. into my dream hmm. where I moved the characters around it. It was now me involved in it as the one saving this woman who's now my wife, Anita. So we realized then, it's like, oh, wow. So now non-dreamers 
and dreamers could actually have this thought transference as opposed to just the dreamer-to-dreamer communication, which is being investigated right now. So I just wanted to share this with you guys. So there you That's go. a really cool That's story. A, that is a neat. very interesting story, yeah. Yeah. So Chad wants to know, and we talked about this at break, but I thought I'd ask it for our listeners too. He said that one of the things he's heard is that if you're in a lucid dream and you're just about to wake up, if you spin around in that dream, it can bring you back into the dream. It, that That is recommended by a lot of dream researchers to do that that spinning and it, it keeps you in there. Uh, I have not been successful with that. I think just because I kind of forget about it. Um, but what I usually do, I look for reality checks in the dream because that's what I've, I've, I've trained myself to do. There's a number of them that are, that are common. The spinning is to sustain the dream. Um, but for me, uh, it's, it's been something lucid in the first place that, that I focus on. So I I keep familiar objects. They call, in, in Inception, they call them tokens. You have the little, like the spinning top that Leonardo DiCaprio had, and uh, other little other little items that people oh, have. Oh right! Yeah. I forgot right. about those. Yeah, yeah you have tokens, those. You have those in your Kickstarter campaign. We do, yeah, and that's inspired directly from the movie. In Inception, the top would spin forever, and then DiCaprio's character named Cobb. Um, would realize the top isn't toppling over, and so this is a dream, so I can take control over this environment. And you can do, that's when you could do fantastic physical stunts or even change the environment or, or, or destroy the environment, whatever he wanted to do after he realized it, after he had that reality check. So that's, that's how what I do. I focus on reality checks. So then that's why, um, on Kickstarter campaign, we have a, forever spinning top. It's really a cool piece of technology. It's a top that's not powered. There's no battery in it, no power source, but the base creates, uh, through inductance, uh, a magnetic field. And you, if you just slightly spin the top, it stays on that base. It lights up. It's got LEDs that will illuminate, and it will spin forever. It, it speeds up and doesn't slow down. It would never topple over. So that's, that's just inspired, inspired by the movie. So it's just so you can have a token and you can just be familiar with it and then look for those tokens in a dreamscape. Interesting. So now we, we did mention the uh, Kickstarter uh, campaign. Um, I'm only familiar with it by name. I've heard it a couple times. My brother has talked about it once or twice. What exactly is a Kickstarter campaign and how does this help um, your research and your business? I don't, I don't know if you think of it as, as a business because we've been doing the research anyway. So to go back to really how it started a few years ago, or actually many years ago, it started in 06 when I bought an electroencephalogram. And I just wanted, I wanted to see if I could detect a measurable change during my frequencies when I was trying to meditate. Then you add Anita to the mix, and here she is, a medical professional, and she's all about biosensors and measuring the physiology of an individual. So we both had this interest. She had greater experience, certainly, than I did with biosensors. But the technology in 06 was big and bulky. Um, I needed to stay tethered to it. And but what ended up happening when I was trying to meditate, I actually fell asleep, and I had a lucid dream. And when I went lucid, you know, I, I woke up, recalled the dream, and I, I felt I still had the, the headband on with the cable. I'm, I'm 
tethered to this toaster or printer size EEG box, and um, it recorded everything. And that was the first time I realized that I was exhibiting signs of being conscious and being unconscious simultaneously. So it really started back in 06. But then two years ago, there was enough convergence of technologies to make it where you did not have to be cabled. It could be wireless. EEG is drastic, drastically shrunk in size. Uh, instead of needing a computer-sized interface that the electrodes plug into, uh, everything is on a tiny circuit board, not even a well, box as a postage stamp, to be honest with you. Uh, and with Bluetooth connectivity, we could use smartphones. So now you have a smartphone next to your headset. You're wearing an EEG in a very slim, comfortable band on your head, and the data is being transmitted wirelessly. And that's how it's it's um, it's filtering and measuring and amplifying brainwave signals. And it detects when you're in a dream state, wake, and it generates a uh, a chime that escalates to wake you up gently. And then your phone transitions into a recorder, and now you journal your dream. So that's, in its simplest explanation, that's actually how it works. Since we built these ourselves, it's not cost-efficient to build them like that, but to, to hand-build all of them, even though the EEGs we buy from a developer of EEGs, a manufacturer, and they there's over a million of these little EEGs um, in various BCIs, brain-computer interfaces, you know, in various consumer products. So we took it, put it in the headband, uh, it worked. The software was really reliable. We started to track our data. And then the international dream studies sort of arrived on the scene at the same time. Um, well, actually, about really not, just under a year ago is when these, they really get serious about doing dreamer-dreamer communication, for example. Um, and then we realized we could contribute to those studies if more people would be able to document their dreams. So then we put it on Kickstarter, which raises funds to manufacture a batch. It, it contrary to what people think, uh, the proceeds from Kickstarter, it's not like, it's not like you're winning a prize. It doesn't go to a creator. It goes to a team that then has to build and deliver product. So right. people, if they, if they pledge to Kickstarter at the level to receive a dream net, you'll get the software, get the dream net, we have several different pledge packages that are listed on there. Yeah, so the dream that is a headband, and it's also like either tablet or smartphone software, right? Yeah, any mobile device or desktop computer. Mm -hmm. So tell me how comfortable. I was telling Cheryl and um, Rick, I have trouble sleeping with a breathe right strip on my nose because things like that bug me. So how comfortable is this headband? If it's got an RFID chip in it, you know, how does how does that work as far as being able to sleep with something like that on? It's, it's as small and compact as you could possibly get it and have it be functional. The other dream masks, what some people call them, are large, uh, I feel cumbersome, um, mm -hmm. and the technology I don't is not one approach that I would take. The other ones use lights over eyes because they're operating under the concept that if you expose people to light when they're dreaming, that that could trigger lucidity. But I, I could not find data um, that wasn't biased to to adhere to that. So for me, it was all about dream detection. So we were able to make it smaller than any other 
dream device that's ever been produced out there. It is, it's small and soft. Um, ironically, a slightly larger one that was like fully padded was, was really comfortable, but people looked at it and I realized that aesthetics is just as important uh, as comfort when it comes time to what somebody wants to choose to wear. And because there's other applications for our dream net, we wanted to make it small and unobtrusive because there's some, some applications that uh, go outside of just detecting dreams. You can communicate with this device. They say, for example, a person is, has um, limited mobility, partially paralyzed, like you are when you're in a dream, can't move your limbs, maybe can't speak. Uh, what most people retain, even when they're paralyzed, is um, forehead and eye movement. And through a, a pattern of, of um, squinting and, and looking in different directions, you do it in preterm patterns, this thing will create text and words for you. So people that can't communicate oh. otherwise can... Okay. Wow. So you also mentioned that there was a possible paranormal application for this that you might be able to share with us. How could I resist? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And this is not something that I have put in the Kickstarter page for the, for the reasons I've mentioned a couple of times already. I I was, I I was, felt like I was so much forced into separating the two worlds that I have a foot firmly planted in the open-minded paranormal community and the usually closed-minded mainstream scientific community that, that wants repeatability. And so um, I, I have not put this on Kickstarter, but um, all people generate a unique when they, there's fear associated or familiarity associated. Um, it, it, it can be intrusive. They, you know, that can be abused, actually. But what we've done, we've taken that phenomenon of people generating this very unique signal um, and incorporating that into the software. So, you know, when you go into a place and you go, I don't feel quite alone here. And yeah, you get the spidey this, sense hit. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, oh, I like that. Yeah. That, this, this will react to spidey sense, to use your term. Uh, it'll react to it and it can create an alarm. Uh, unfortunately, that's, that's another aspect that can be militarized because seasoned soldiers know when they're in crosshairs. That's how they become seasoned. It's called the stare effect. If you guys have ever read about any, any of that research, like you, somebody knows when they're, and they've done control tests for a long, long time. Um, if you look at somebody through a camera, Say there's a surveillance camera, um, one of you have on another, and then you're in separate locations. The person who's being viewed can tell when somebody's looking at them, and they're right. usually correct. Right. Uh, so the okay. stare, right. it happens every day in traffic too. You know, you're sitting there, and you you feel the little laser beam like on your behind your ear, and you turn around, and the person in the car behind you is staring at you. You just you know it, and so that's. All that aspect is, is part of our survival instincts that hadn't really been fully recognized in the modern world, but was fully recognized uh, by our ancestors. They, they had to do it, otherwise they'd be the lion's next meal. They had to know when something was up. Right, and right. So we, exactly. So we can detect those subconscious uh, tingles that a person gets when they're in an environment where something isn't quite 
right? And we can gently, uh, we can, you know, vibrate their phone, for example, and saying, hey, you're getting a feeling. You're not acknowledging consciously, but subconsciously, there's something happening to you right now. Wow. Hmm. That's really cool. You know, that, what I, I could see that is, um, for developing awareness of intuition in people because I fully believe that like you say that it's just programmed into us it's it's who we are um, that we're all intuitive and that we can all sense those things but some people um, for all sorts of reasons societal conditioning um, and other things have really shut down to it so I would think that if somebody wanted to develop more of an awareness of their intuition what a great tool that would be for that yeah and we have a lot of features and it's been it's been almost like my, my burden almost. There's so much that we can do. Um, uh, the, the constructive criticism that I've gotten from people is like, Bill, there's so much technology that you're throwing out there. It's some people, they have to sift through it. And so I've had to actually exclude uh, uh, talking about a lot of what we're capable of doing with this for fear of, of alienating people that then say, wow, well, Jesus, that's so much where, you know, where, you know I, I, I don't want to confuse people. I don't want them to have to draw a line. And so um, we, we would be releasing plugins to our backers. So if you're interested in any of this stuff, uh, I do hope that people back this. With Kickstarter, it's all or nothing. So either you reach the goal and then you're fully funded um, and then we can produce the batch or you don't reach the goal, even if you miss it by fifty dollars, and right. there's no, no, nobody's ever charged. No proceeds are transferred. We won't build them. We we have the ones for our team that we'll still be using, but we'd like to be able to get them out there in good hands. And we've made it as low price as we possibly could. Yeah. So your goal okay. is thirty thousand dollars, and you have eleven thousand two hundred dollars right now. Mm-hmm. And you have five days left. Yeah, like five days, and yesterday, or day before yesterday, I think it jumped by 2,000. So it Kickstarter tends to happen two different ways. Either it comes in at the beginning or it comes in at the end. And so we're, we're experiencing a bump at the end. If we stay trending, then we can meet our goal. But, you know, clearly we have, sure. uh, you know, we need, we need our backers to believe in us and say, yeah, I want to be part of this, and then yeah. pledge, and okay. we'll reach it. So I notice that your pledging starts at $40, but on Kickstarter, people can donate as much or pledge as much as a dollar, but um, your premiums start at $40. Is that the way that that works? Yeah, Kickstarter does that automatically, the, the dollar thing. You know, that's mm-hmm. something that, like the template that they provide you don't even see that. It just uh, when you launch it, that's that was when I saw that. And I go, oh, okay. They just they just put that on there because Kickstarter, or, um, they work. You could just call it like a commission. So part of the proceeds goes to Kickstarter, so they can operate what they do. Their servers and their development team who've been quite helpful. Um, but for the rewards, it starts off with the Forever Spinning Top, the electronic token that we mentioned. And then the next one goes to, actually, I should open the page up, so, no, I got it right here. Okay. Um, actually, we, we jumped a little bit just in the past, just like now, actually, it just went up. You just did, so, you're right. Excellent. Sweet. Thank yeah, just, you. 
<laughs> just when I went to it, um, it jumped twice. It went 11 and then 11 to and 11 uh, just in the short few seconds that I went. So thank you if it's a listener. Okay, so $40, um, the re- reality check is the electronic token. 140 did you the dream that had been with the software. We do ask that people that purchase the or, or pledge the 140 that they submit four sleep sessions that they'll record to us so we can send it to those that are studying dreams. And it could be anonymous. Um, okay. Then it's okay. it's 150, and 150 is the same thing. But there, you know, you don't feel have to be obligated to submit the data if you don't want to. Um, although your identity would never be revealed if you would. Uh, 195. That's the Cloud Nine that gives you the DreamNet, gives you the software, gives you a custom limited edition soft case, and you get the electronic token. And then for 250, you get the DreamNet and the software. You get a limited edition hard case, electronic token. And then a, a sleep mask, a soft sleep mask. So those okay. are our pledges. Great. Good stuff. Well, so I, I hope that you guys get to your gold because this is really very cool. Um, and you're right. I was looking at, there was another one that I noticed um, that was on Kickstarter that just funded. But it was big. It's bulky. It's, um, you know, and it doesn't look very comfortable. And it plays light, um, like said so yours is so yours differentiates because what it really does is it measures and it gives you a little kind of gentle alarm to help you go into lucid dreaming is that what it does yeah and and the alarm could be anything that your smart device has or uh, as we all know you can you can download sound files as your alarm so it can be your own voice that says hey wake up you're you're having a dream wake up you're having a dream uh, so you can do it that way. Um, now, may I may I um, post the link in the chat room? Absolutely, oh, yeah. Of course. Of course. Thank um, you. You know, we can put it on the Paranormal Underground's Facebook and our Twitter and, and some other things, too. And I actually, it's up on my Facebook now. So hopefully we can get you some traction with this because I think it's it's really a fantastic idea. It's it's really fascinating, and I love some of the other potential applications of it. You know what, Bill? Well, I do. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I just I just thank you. Oh, oh, sorry about that. I accidentally interrupted you. I do I do have to ask this though, and I, it may seem like a silly question, but this couldn't be used um, negatively uh, by by people. What, what am I trying? I'm trying to think of like uh, I'm thinking of the movie like Dreamscape that came out back in the early '80s. How people were able to enter into their dreams and then kill them or whatever. This this can't be used in any negative or intelligence gathering way, could it? No, it it, it cannot. Okay. Um, I, and you know, somebody else asked that, and you would think that at this point, I would have I would have watched every dream movie ever produced, especially on Netflix, but. Um, I was uh, being interviewed by another host, and he brought up that same movie, and ironically, we had put it in our queue for Netflix before the interview, and we, we didn't watch it. We just put it in there just because it had the word dream in it, and we just did a search. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, and then I, I, so we saw it just for the first time the other night. So, no, you, you can't use this to, to harm or obtain information uh, involuntarily from another person at all. Okay. Uh, it doesn't that there isn't technology out there that can 
uh, reconstruct a digital interpretation of a dream, but that's not at all what we're doing. And those are all functional MRIs, so big, bulky piece that you'd never be able to really sleep in very well. We're using, so, we're using EEG and MRIs. So Bonnie wants to know, why would you want to okay. be awakened when you're dreaming? If, you, if you're not awoken by it uh, during the dream, and then you, you, could, you could set this thing to have all sorts of restrictions. If you don't want to be awoken for six hours, or if you want to set it where it's only when you're uh, generating gamma, you can still set the length of time that you'd be generating those specific frequencies. The reason why that's important, um, because like my lucid dream, just to use myself as an example, when I become totally lucid, it's really 40 to 90 seconds. But those 40 to 90 seconds are, they're fantastic and they're very insightful. Other people, it's closer to an hour. So the reason why we're calling this the programmable uh, lucid dreaming headband is because you can select frequency bands that you are responding to and you can set the duration that you're generating that band before you're awoke. So we're not trying to, we're trying to, not trying to interrupt anybody's sleep patterns. We're just trying to help them with their recall. Okay. Fair enough. Okay, so Bill, this is a great project. What else do you have going on? Well, we have plenty going on. Um, there, there's a, a lot of things that, that we're doing. Um, uh, Anita, you know, I guess related to this, actually, uh, she conceptualized some other, like a, like a television show, actually, a series, uh, and then she got signed on a production deal, and I got to write her coattails in there, and they, they co-signed me as well for it. It wasn't for the purpose of posting, it was just for producing it. Um, so cool. that... Very cool. Go ahead. I was I'm just, sorry, I, we, were, we were saying that sounds cool. I will tell you, it though, I miss, Factor yeah. I miss Factor Faked, Bill. That was a great show. So what's, can you tell us what the show is that you guys are going to be producing? Well, it's um, just like Factor Faked, they, you have to sign non non-disclosures once they put you under contract. Sure. So yeah, we have a non-disclosure, but... If you like the stuff that we're talking about now, and if you like Factor Fake, then you'd love this. Um, cool. So we'll see where it goes, but the, oh my gosh, the, uh, the development process for TV is, uh, it's just like molasses in the winter. Um, it's <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> I would have no idea, but I, you know what? I, I, I'm, I'm with Karen. I loved Factor Fake. It's, one of the very few shows and very few shows that I actually cared about and really, really yeah, liked too. watching. Yeah, me too. You know, I think there's a marathon on Tuesday yet again. They keep, they keep having marathons on it. So it, the show has remained really popular, but when you really, when you break down the show, you realize how complex it really was and how many segments we really shot. It was 72 segments and they cut them into 36 episodes, each segment really could have been easily an hour. You're mm -hmm. seeing maybe two or three replication tests when, in fact, we may have done five. Um, right. So okay. all that takes, it takes, um, and it puts international travel. So as far as reality TV goes, uh, there was a sophisticated show, one that I'm proud that I have been associated with. 
Um, they've never really said, like, well, the show's not coming back or here's a date. It's just like, like, usually happens in TV. It just kind of goes silent and the hiatus word echoes forever. And so, yeah. um, we don't really wait around for it. Um, we have other things we're working on. Yeah. Cool. So, uh, anything else that you can share that's coming up? Um, we also have more documentaries that we're releasing. We, we have the Pearl Experiment, uh, and that one was a real surprise for us. That was, um, did we talk, we didn't talk about this. I don't remember. No, 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 it never, it never came up in the interview that we did for the magazine, I don't believe. I don't think so. No, I don't think so. The, um, do you remember the Philip experiment in the 1970s where... Yes, I, they, I, I'm kind of obsessed with the Philip experiment, so go on. Oh, well, then you, your new best friend is going to be Pearl, because okay. the, the Pearl experiment, it, it, it took the concept of the Philip experiment, and we, we modernized it, and we wanted to see if we could not just have subjective experiences, but have objective data that could be derived um, thought form manifestation and it was a crazy enough idea where I said you know what let's just give this our very best shot to see what happens um, and some very odd things happened and um, fortunately we had enough cameras and everything in place and enough people where we got this really cool evidence and we we took the results of that um, we did it right before Dr. Pink actually is when I we did Pro Experiment and then then uh, I called. It's kind of one of those calls that you can imagine happening. You're just in your kitchen. I was just talking to Anita. We're just sitting there having a chat. I was actually trying to build this new new device, um, and uh, I wasn't having great success. I was having some success. And the phone rings, and it's it's an executive um, calling and are saying this is sci-fi, and we there's a team. We think you know some of the people. We'd like you to come down and speak to us. And I said, is this did you want to license some of my footage? Because my footage keeps ending up on, on other shows. They said, no, 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 no. We, we know about what you've done, but we want to care, we more care about what you can do. Uh, and I went to go see them. Factor Fake happened. It was going to be six episodes, end up being three years. Um, right. And so, yeah. so I, I never did get to release Pearl because that Factor Fake happened and it just consumed our lives. Um, and then we ended up having an event where we revealed everything about Pearl with a, um, over three days, the live audience, who then tried to replicate, kind of factor fix how, what we did. Like, here's what we did. Here's the process. Here's, you know, the idea behind our manifestation. Let's see if anybody can replicate the evidence we have, and maybe there's another explanation because we can't figure it. And that's what an, an LAPD forensic photographer to try to replicate it. He says, I don't know how this is happening. Uh, the metadata is all intact from the memory cards and the camera, so it's not like anything's been photoshopped. Um, and so we did the event about it. Uh, if you go to ghostdown.tv, um, you'll see a link. Uh, I think it says past events, if I'm not mistaken. And then you can read about the Glen Tavern event um, and a bunch of other stuff that's going on. I think I got the cover shot for the Pro Experiment uh, as a splash page on Ghost Town right now. So is it it's is it a documentary or is it going to be a documentary then? No, it, it is. I mean, we had we had shot, we had conducted the experiment, recorded everything. I was going to release it as a doc. I had the other ones I had just finished releasing, but then 
Dr. Faith came calling. Well, for Discovery came calling first, then the biography, then Discovery, right. and then Sci-Fi. And so I just got busy with TV. Sure. And I, I didn't really seek to be a TV personality. I'm just a paranormal investigator, and I just loved what I was doing. Um, but then, you know, once you're kind of in the world of TV, it, it, it does kind of take over your life for a bit. Sure. And so now it's like, okay, I don't, let me turn my attention back to Pearl. Well, okay. that's what I did last um, October. Okay. Turn my attention back to Pearl, but then the development of DreamNet took center stage because all the pieces then were ready. The, the coding was finished. The hardware was was ready. So then we had to turn our attention to that. We launched a Kickstarter, and then I got to go back to the Pearl experiment. So, so but I can I can see okay. that I can pre-order it. Yeah, yeah, you can pre-order it. Okay, yeah. I'll put that link in the chat room then for for people. So it's available okay. for pre-order, and when it's ready, it'll ship. Because uh, I'm totally into that. Because, like I say, I have always been absolutely fascinated by the Philip experiment. I've written about it. I, uh, you know, when I write other articles, I refer to it a lot because I think it's I think it's a really interesting piece of research. So I'd be interested to uh, see what happened to you guys. Well, it, well, the, it, the the event that we that we did when we, when we look at the past events, the the parapsychology and Hollywood event that I spoke of earlier. Um, we brought in some of the people that are the the remnants and the heirs of the Toronto group that conducted the Philip experiment, and we had them come in Canada, and they spoke at our event, and then we got the whole backstory to what happened with Philip, and even with oh. predates, and how it started, and you know we learned things. I mean, thank goodness we did this to bring these people in because it was like so important. I, I didn't know how far back it really won, but it reaches back to the spiritualist era before it got corrupted through hoaxing, uh, yeah. the original mm. movement. That led to Philip, which has now led to Pearl. That is and really we, fascinating. I'm glad you've done that, because I've always talked about wanting to replicate that experiment, because I know uh, some other groups have done it with not great success. Well, we didn't know how this would come out. I mean, it's... um. It's like, well, let's just try. There's, there's nothing to, you know, no. Uh, if, if we don't try, then we'll never know what the results could be. And so we, we, we did it, and um, all of the places. I mean, all, all the pieces that kind of came into play in this was almost all just synchronicity. Uh, as by surprise. What's the? I need to tell you something. Where, where Oh, oh, uh, oh, uh, oh uh, you know, I need to keep reminding me, she goes, you're talking about Pearl, but, but, uh, but DreamNet's the priority right now, and she's right, DreamNet's the priority. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. DreamNet. So, Bill, this is actually, we have come to the section of the show that we call Shameless Self-Promotion Corner. So we've talked about a lot of really cool things, and I'd like you to um, give out any links, places people can follow you, contact you, to find out more about what you're doing. Um, I, I keep people abreast really through Twitter. Um, you know, I'm not very good at maintaining any social media net or social networks at all. Um, but Twitter, you know, I can do 140 characters and move on. So if you go to <laughs> Twitter, I, I, I can be found at Bill P. as in Patrick Murphy, Bill P. Murphy. And that's where I'm, I'm at on Twitter right now. Uh, and 
there, Anita's link is uh, on mine, and she has Facebook, and so she does Facebook. Uh, for me, um, I got this Kickstarter campaign. I'm on Twitter. Who knows? Someday maybe I'll do Facebook. I just haven't been motivated to do so. Well, you know, it can be a big time sucker, and you're a busy guy. I, I, I really am busy. Um, yeah. It's like I, I'm, there's, there's always something going on. We, we have a plan every single day, and the one day we don't have a plan is tomorrow because it's Valentine's Day, and me oh. and my sweetheart, we're going to disappear for a day. Well, good for you. You guys have a happy Valentine's Day together. And so with that, Bill, this has been an absolutely fabulous conversation. I hope that people will go to your Kickstarter campaign and um, fund it because I think that it's a really cool product. And so it's called DreamNet. If you go to Kickstarter and you enter in DreamNet, it's all one word, capital D, capital N. Um, Or you can just search Lucid Dreaming Headband in Google. It's the second link found, so there you go. And, um, Bill, thank you so much for coming on. Thank, thank Anita you, for sitting in and, and keeping you on task. I hope that the next time you have something to share, you'll come back because you're always a great conversation. Oh, thank you very much for having me on. And, and to everybody else that's uh, a part of the show, you know, thank you. Thank you much. So, Rick, Karen, thank you guys are pros. Appreciate it. Oh, Thanks, thank Bill. You, Bill. You guys have a happy happy Valentine's Day tomorrow. Yes, and then also Dave. I think Dave is uh, the guy in the chat room, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. That, so I think he he's the one who pledged, I believe. He is. Uh, so Dave, uh, a big thanks to you. So um, spread the word, guys. If it happens, uh, those dream nets will be coming your way. Very cool. Oh, All right. Thank great. you so much. Have a good thank evening you, and have a good day tomorrow. All right, you too. Bye bye now. Right. Bye bye. Um, so that was a great topic, lucid dreaming, and I yeah. think, I I mean I feel like we barely scratched the surface, and it's it's things like that. Like I say, I love all of the shows that we do, but mm-hmm. I really love the shows that are something really different. Well, what I like about what I liked about this show is is and I and I know I was um, you know somewhat quiet and no you weren't hogging it like you said in the uh, in the sky <laughs> chat you weren't at all because it's like it's these shows where I am unfamiliar with something and I walk away actually learning yeah something and 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 I like that I mean yeah. because I do believe that lucid dreaming does have some uh, parapsychological applications to it, especially as it pertains to psychics. But even though it's actually been scientifically studied, I mean, so there's a very scientific aspect to lucid dreaming, which is really cool for the people who, you know, like all the sciencey stuff. Right. And, but then it does, it has, I think it, it does have some spiritual and paranormal, um, you know, things as well. So very cool. Cheryl, good job. And on such short notice, we didn't know what we were going to do just days ago. And thank God for Bill and Anita. They came through for us. Yeah. Didn't it fall into place? Perfect. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Otherwise they would have had to just sit and listen to us yammer on and, you know, (laughs) who wants to listen to that? (laughs) 
Well, it was it was very enlightening. I love that that topic. I've always wondered yeah. more about lucid dreaming and why it happens and how you can do it and make it happen and all that good stuff. So. And everybody had such good questions. This is yeah. why I love our audience. I'm I'm, I'm going to pump up our audience for a minute. You guys are the best. You have a great audience. You ask the most thought provoking questions. You ask questions I wouldn't even think of asking. I I see it and I'm like. Yeah, I didn't know I wanted to know that, but I totally do. <laughs> so thank you with you guys. You guys are such a great part of our thank our you. show. In when you contribute and ask questions like that, we really appreciate you guys. Thank so you. yeah, thank you. So there we go. I have sucked up to the audience, and um, <laughs> Cheryl, you did good. What? <laughs> yeah. What do we have coming up? Uh, next week we have. Where'd my calendar go? There it is. February 20th, 2014, we have Dave Considine, founder and director of Phantasm Psychic Research. Yeah, Dave's been on before. It's been quite a while, though, since yeah. we've been able to talk to him. He was but, our first Halloween show, if memory serves. Oh, I think you might be right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so looking forward to catching up with him, seeing what he's been doing. That's going to be a great show. And then rounding out February on February 27th, Jill Marie Morris comes back and talks about all sorts of good stuff, but also I'm her second book, which uh, released recently, called Saint Sinners and Sacred Ground. Yeah, and it's yeah. it's about uh, her hometown, in, or the town in Long Island where this all took place, right? Yeah. Did you finish the book yet? No, uh -uh, because I just finally got my new glasses prescription because I read. So, so here's the deal. Yeah, I read all my books on a Kindle because I can make the print really big. (laughs) 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 And so I lost my glasses. (laughs) So I finally got to the. I was waiting for my um my my vision plan to kick over so that I could get new glasses. And so I just finally got them yesterday. Well, good. Well, I I started the book, but I as opposed to just things on my Kindle. Yeah, I I I said I I started the book, but I haven't finished it yet. So I was just curious if you had finished it, but no, I I will by then because I couldn't see it. Uh, Oh, good now though. Good, good. (laughs) Yeah, I've been like Mister Magooing, walking around and you know almost bashing into things for weeks because I didn't know where my glasses were. Yeah, we're all. We're all getting old that. eyes. I, 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 I seriously think that I need to get glasses, too, because I'll just walk right into a wall and not even see it coming. Yeah, but the old eyes are when you have the book and you start to have to move it further and further and further away from you. Well, I got to the extent of my arms, and then I just had to start blowing up the print. See? Oh, my God. Yeah. I think I'm starting to get old eyes. You, you, are you having to move yes. things away from you? Yes. I noticed this um, just recently, too. Oh, my God. Get old eyes and dad breath. Dad uh, I hope I don't have dad, dad breath. Dad breath. Dad breath. Okay. Well, and I I know that you've reached out to some some great guests as well. So I'm I'm looking forward to some stuff we have coming up because, like I say, well, I love you know the mm-hmm. the stuff we do about ghosts and mm-hmm. paranormal investigation and stuff. I really think that these sh- types of shows they're special to me. Because mm-hmm. the topics, I, I mean, there are things that I don't really know that much about, but I've always kind of been interested in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you. So, I dig it. Yeah, cool. Okay, um, so, magazine's out. 
Yeah, also before I talk about the magazine, because you know mm-hmm. I love to talk about the magazine, but I want to mention <laughs> to our live mm-hmm. listeners to stay tuned after Paranormal Underground Radio for the next show, which is In the Dark Radio with Chuck G. And he will be talking with Emily Hill, author of The Ghost of White Raven's Estate and Dictionary of Ghosts. That's coming up I right after Paranormal Underground to Radio. I mention Chuck's show. Chuck, yeah. I hope you can find it in your heart to forgive me. How dare Just you. remember Shame that I love you. you. I don't I don't bruv you like Rick does, but you know. No. So hey, it's hey, gonna be it's your okay. isn't it be your Broentine tomorrow? <laughs> you, you know what? I forgot to send out my card. Out 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 oh. Chuck's card. Oh well you can Sorry, always drive bro. drive out to see him. Maybe bring him a box of chocolates. Oh no, if he's on a diet, I think, so that wouldn't be good. Sorry, bro. <laughs> well, okay, yeah. so um Chuck, coming yeah, up. Chuck, coming up. If you if you're not a live listener and you're listening to us on podcast right now, go to Podbean or iTunes and you can catch Chuck's shows there too. That's right. And Chuck is go. very good at what he does. You know, Chuck was kind of Chuck kind of came out of the blue. So we had him on the show once, and then didn't he fill in for Rick one night or something? Mm-hmm. You know, you and I were both like. Yeah, Man, let's just can Rick and keep this dude. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I knew it. I knew it the whole time. In fact, Jamie, Jamie even suggested it. She's like, aren't you afraid that Chuck is going to take your job on Paranormal Underground? And I just said to him, I'm like, if he wants it, he can have it. Oh, <laughs> man. Harsh. No, but my, my point is, is that Chuck was so good. He's got that. He's got he that does. radio voice. He does. he does. He's good, and I'm glad he started yeah. his his show. It's been really interesting, and I'm enjoying it. So, and one of the cool things about Chuck is he does something that Rick and I don't do. Well, what isn't cool about Chuck? Um, I know exactly what you're going to say. He prepares. He prepares. He totally prepares for shows. Rick and I, Rick's texting me like 15 minutes before the show tonight. Like, do you know anything about lucid dreaming? I'm like, I'm looking it up now. Chuck is, oh my gosh, you guys. Chuck is like, he's got notes and he's got all this research and, oh. Yeah, Oh, yeah, I've pictures on his Facebook. Yeah. We're like we're like coffee talk. We we like to you know, we're like sitting around the table just having a conversation. Or maybe what we're like is like those you know, those drunken nights in college when you're drinking beer and eating pizza and t- having deep talk conversation. Yeah. Or That's what more what it is. Yeah, what you thought was deep conversation. <laughs> <laughs> is that through a is is that through the alcohol in a haze of weed smoke? Oh god. <laughs> um there's yeah. a time in the I didn't go to college, so I don't know. There is a yeah. time and place for everything, and it's called college. So there you go. You you do with that what you will. Yeah. Um, okay. So hey, before we go, and I know I know we're, we got to go here in a few minutes, but I just want to ask um, everyone to check out our app on the Apple Newsstand. Right. You can download the app for free, and then you can have the option to subscribe to the magazine on the app. It's the issues are interactive. They include yes. videos, audios, and links. And um, there's different subscription levels. You can get a 12-month subscription. You can get a three-month subscription. Or you can get a one-month subscription. Or you can just buy single I- issues whenever you want. So there's lots of good stuff there. Yep. And, and yep. come on. They're chock full of goodness. Yes. Paranormal chock goodness. chock full of goodness. Paranormal goodness Par- from paranormal deliciousness. You know, really, really talented and amazing writers. We've just got some amazing people who write for us. Mm-hmm. And um, yep. I like that. Yeah, amazing. When we cover a little bit of everything, so there's probably a topic in there that 
readers will like, um, you know, besides haunted sites, um, urban legends, we also do things like um, psychic um, articles and magic and lore. Uh, we do uh, religion and the paranormal, conspiracy stuff, demonology. I mean, you name it, it's probably in there. That's right. And, you know, you never underestimate the a bunch of people who, with an avid interest in the paranormal, we mm-hmm. always come up with really creative ideas about things to yep. include in the magazine. Yes. Right. So, exactly. I mean, like this one has a great article about black eyed kids by Chuck. Yeah. Chuck, yep. Chuck, the new paranormal underground superstar. Yep. He's <laughs> had more, um, more covers than any of us have. I've hey. never had a cover. You Neither haven't? Have I. What? Are you guys kidding? You've never have a, had a cover? No, I totally had a cover. Oh, okay. I didn't know if that was true. I, I was like, I'm just, what? I'm just, uh, I'm just oh. giving my, uh, my bro a hard time. Hey, and I gotta say, well, I don't gotta say, but I'd like my to brother. say, um, you have to say, I have to say, um, the cover of the February 2014 issue is a black-eyed kid, and I wanted to uh, mention the person who let me use it. It's a professional photographer. His name is Levy Morishan. I hope I'm pr- pronouncing it right. But go to www.levymorishan.com. That's M-O-R-O-S-A-N.com. Levy is L-E-V-Y. I, I yes. was going to say, it's, what is it now? L-E-V-Y? Okay, it's L-E-V-Y-M-O-R-O-S-H-A-N.com. Okay. And then okay. also, the, the it actually came from a feature film. So the feature film is called The Hunt for Black-Eyed Kids. You can watch it on YouTube. Just go to YouTube and search for The Hunt for Black-Eyed Kids. I'm doing it right All now. right. And with Do that, it. it is time. Oh. It is time for oh, us man. To, <laughs> to pass the scepter on to King Chuck. To King Chuck. All right. Chuck. That's right. So I love you, Chuck. <laughs> I hope you all have a happy Valentine's Day tomorrow. Yeah. And, um, you know. Yeah. Come back next week. We'll be doing some. We'll be doing some talking and stuff, yeah. uh, and we'll be talking to somebody very interesting, Dave Considine. Yep. So, six p.m. Pacific, nine p.m. Eastern, other times in the flyover states. Thanks everybody t- for listening to Paranormal Underground Radio on the Hazy Radio Network. You all have a great week. You too. Have a good night. Good night. If you'd like to be a guest, Paranormal Underground Radio, email editor at paranormalunderground.net. Until next time, keep exploring the unexplained at ParanormalUnderground.net. Please join us next week for Paranormal Underground Radio on the Hazy Radio Network.